Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. It's super important for the brain to know that it's in control of something. What's happening to your brain when you're listening to it is it's lighting up your whole brain and it's activating every sub-region. So you're kind of turbocharging your brain. So what I like to teach people how to do is just to prescribe themselves their own power playlists. You know, playlists are prescriptions. Hey guys, this is Stacey Brookman, and I'm glad you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the podcast with resources to help you be a more resilient person. Our guest today is a speaker and author and a board certified music therapist. So if you want some real insights into how to specifically use music to become more resilient, then stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. Did you know that writing your life stories can help you heal? Writing during tough times actually boosts your immune system and helps you realize the lessons meant to be learned from your experiences. If you're ready to let go of the past and embrace a future self who is wise and resilient, join us for our next free webinar. How to leverage your tough life stories to build strength and resilience. In this webinar, you'll learn the four research-backed steps to help you become a more resilient person through writing your story. Whether you have never written anything in your life and you hate writing, or you enjoy writing or journaling occasionally, or you're an expert writer, this webinar will teach you the exact technique that anyone can use to write their story and become a more resilient person in the process. Register for our free webinar at stacybrookman.com webinar. I look forward to seeing you there. I love to hear from listeners personally, and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome music therapist, Tim Ringold. Hey, Tim, how are you? I am so excited to have Tim Ringgold here. He's a board-certified music therapist. He's a speaker and he's an author. And of course, he's a TEDx talk presenter, right? Woohoo! That is awesome. Actually, I don't know. Are you one of the only ones that have actually sung on a TEDx talk? Let me ask you that real quick. That's a good question. Um, <laughs> there aren't many. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, people are scared enough to speak on stage, much less sing on it when it comes to TED. Right. So. Oh my goodness. But your book is Sonic Recovery, Harness the Power of Music to Stay Sober. And I think that is amazing. So we're going to dig into like what type of power does music have in our lives? We're going to really dig into that. But first, tell me a little bit about how you got into music and how that you did you start to understand that music really helps you as a person? Sure. Well, thanks again for having me on. This is a joy. Um, and, you know, I started out like most people, it just music was around as, as a child. I was on stage when I was four. I sang my first solo when I was four. Um, not everybody starts singing that early, but, you know, I remember with older siblings and my mom, there was always music playing in the house. It was just, and then at church, it's a, we're always singing at church. And so it was just, I grew up inside of music from, you know, as my earliest memory. And mm. I had a career in music as like a performer and loved it. 
but it, it, it was more of a performance out for entertainment context, right? And then on April 18th, 1995, my whole world changed. I'm a 22 year old young man and I'm at a con, I'm at, actually at a concert and I'm rocking and yeah, you know, having a great time. And what <laughs> I didn't know was happening at that same moment was my five best friends were being murdered. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Whoa. I went to five wow. funerals in four days. Oh my goodness. And oh. it was like Groundhog's Day from hell. I, right. I woke up every day and buried another friend. Oh. And wow. then I drank and smoked everything I could to try to numb the pain, none of which worked. Mm. Went to sleep, mm. woke up, buried another friend. Mm. But what happened at each memorial was I sang goodbye to each one of my friends. I wrote a song that I used to sing for them in the bars as a dedication song to them. And there'd be like tear in your beer, you know? And right. so I thought this is the way I'll say goodbye to my friends. It's perfect. Right. So I sang right. the song, tore me up, but my community kept coming up to me saying that was so healing. Thank you. Mm. Okay. I'll take your word for it. And then the night of the last funeral, I went with my one remaining friend to a concert because he's like, you want to go see a show? And I was like, I could use a show. Yeah. So we went and for two hours, I was at peace. Oh. And I got it. It all mm -hmm. made sense. It was all full circle, right? I now understood what my community felt when I was playing for them. Right. In that moment, the purpose of my life was revealed, which is to heal the planet with music. Oh, Wow. That's that's amazing. It's tragic, but yet it's exciting at the same time because you burst that new thing inside of you that said this is this is my mission. Yeah. So, can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Why is music so healing? Sure. Uh first we all intuitively know this, right? We've all had healing experiences with music in our life. We, mm -hmm. uh, most everybody knows it touches our emotions and it touches, you know, connects us socially, even connects us spiritually. But what I teach people, what they don't understand is how it actually affects your brain and your body and how right. pivotal music is to the brain and the nervous system for mm -hmm. operating in a healthy environment inside. And that's really only stuff I learned once I became a music therapist and kind of yeah. went underneath the narrative that we all have about music, which is, oh, it makes you feel good. Okay. Yeah, that's great. But it does a lot more. Let me stop you right there because there are so many people that think like trauma or grief or stress or things like that are only in your brain. Yeah. And what you and I know, and so many other people now know is that it's not just in your brain, no, right? No, yeah. Yeah, keep keep going. I'm sorry. Sure, I just no, wanted that's to, great. like it, your body is affected by how you're feeling. Yes, the issues are in the tissues is- uh, <laughs> That's right, I haven't heard of that. That's Polish good. Says. Yeah, and you know, trauma is something, it becomes like an embodied somaticized experience. It gets stored in the body. Uh, there's mm -hmm. two great uh, authors, Peter Levine and uh, Bessel van der Kolk, who have done yeah. great research, great, written great books on the topic. So people should just go read their stuff for more on that. Absolutely. But basically mm -hmm. the short story is for decades, the psychotherapy world thought that if we just talked about trauma, that we could process it verbally. And, and that was uh, 
ineffective. And what they found mm-hmm. was things that were experiential, that were nonverbal, that required us moving our bodies to express, which means to squeeze out that energy, were more effective. And those modalities include music therapy, dance therapy, uh, EMDR. Uh, so things mm-hmm. where we're actually engaging our body, those are critical to us being able to move that energy out. Yeah, I was had a guest on previously and her husband had passed away and she said one of the things I did was like one of my guilty pleasures, but it was so good for her was tap dancing lessons. Huh. She did some tap dancing and she said that got me through. So That is really great. Um, yeah. So that seems like that's part of it. Okay. Keep going. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, for, for all of us, we all reach for things when we get stressed. And mm-hmm. for me, uh, it's been drugs, it's been alcohol, but for a lot of us, it's also, uh, the fridge, um, oh, yeah. our phone, like our phone, right. Or the Netflix button on our remote control. Um, right. you know, everybody reaches for something in times of stress and that's a normal very normal reaction in the brain. So if you think back to childhood, we reach for our thumb or we reach for a blanket or a binky. Those are self-soothing behaviors. And what happens in the brain is when it gets stressed, the part of the nervous system that takes over issues a craving, which is what works to self-soothe in the moment. Mm. Not what's good for me. Mm -hmm. Not what's going to create a great future. Now, what is going to soothe me in the moment? And as we grow, we just explore the physical world around us and we reach for things to Mm self-soothe. That's very much a physiological reaction that's happening in the brain. It's not about the mind. It's not about our mood. No, it's straight up nervous system changing gears and trying to change back. And so if we understand that when we're stressed, we reach for things that aren't good for us, what we have to learn how to do is reach for different things instead that are healthy and plan mm-hmm. that out in advance. So what I teach people to do is to reach for music. I love that. So is it particular music that they reach for that, that helps heal or is it individual to each person? Yeah, that's a great question. It's one of the most common questions I get. Is there like a right type of music? And there's a couple of levels to the answer. So uh, at one level, tempo, right? The speed of the music we're listening to, that mm-hmm. matters. So our mm-hmm. nervous system will automatically upregulate or downregulate based on an external rhythm. Ah. So I used to work in the intensive care unit and I would have patients who were in a coma, but still had a high heart rate, high blood pressure, high respiratory rate. And they were giving them tons of drugs. They couldn't give them any more drugs. So I would come in with my guitar and I would look at the monitor and I would follow their heartbeat like it was a metronome. Uh-huh. After about five minutes, I would slow down my guitar playing and their heart rate, blood pressure, and respiratory rhythm would follow. Oh my gosh. Even while they're wow. in a coma. Right. Because the nervous system is automatically responding to the external sound environment and tempo is one of the key things that it seeks to sync with. So when you go Mm. to the gym and you hear people in the cardio or the spin room, it's like, right. The tempo of that music is the tempo of the target heart rate that they want their clients to be at. And what they're actually doing is they're upregulating their bodies without even realizing it. And when you do that, it decreases the perception of effort and work. 
Oh my goodness. That's why. <laughs> that's why. Right. So that's why I relaxation music is always down tempo and exercise mm-hmm. music is always up tempo because what's happening in our body is our body's trying to match that external tempo. Right. So tempo is one area. The other area though is like style or genre. Mm-hmm. That points to the second thing that you said, is it individual? And yes, it's very individual, particularly for relaxation and stress and anger and grief. Like the patient is the DJ is the, Uh you know, I used to say, you know, uh, so if you have the symptoms, you get the dial, you know, and because music's very subjective. And if you play me, Barbara Streisand or Celine Dion, not only will I not relax, it'll, it'll induce a stress response in me. Right. right? And you know this, like we all have this, we have the music we mm-hmm. love and we have the music we hate. And it's very like, we're very passionate about those two extremes and you can't subject someone to music they don't like. It will induce right. a stress response instead of relieve it. Wow, this is fascinating. It really, really is. So tempo, does it matter whether you're up tempo or down tempo? Let's say you've you've experienced some trauma. Mm-hmm. Does it matter just to change the tempo or match the tempo, whatever that is, whether it's up or down, or do you want to go down or up? Well, yeah. So it depends on where you're trying to move yourself. So if you're, okay. so for example, um, in times of grief, uh, you know, depression is a normal and natural response to a loss. And so for me, that's a very down energy time where I'm really having a hard time getting my body and my mood and my thoughts mm. up to a, mm. you know, activities of daily living functioning level, right? Right. So I'm down. And if you just hit me right away with high tempo music, it might crush me. It just might be just too much. I can't take it, right? Right. But if I start out with something peaceful, something mellow, something that's beautiful to me, and, uh-huh. I, and I go into the music, right? It's, I'm actively listening to it. I might be walking to it. I might be meditating to it. Then once I'm in the music, then you can start to move me up, right? And we can ratchet it up. So what I like to teach people how to do is just to prescribe themselves their own power playlists. Ooh, so like we all know what, you know, playlists are prescriptions. Mm-hmm. And so we, we think about, oh, I have an exercise playlist. I've got a study playlist. I've got a road trip playlist, right? I got a cleaning the house playlist, I've got <laughs> like a repair playlist. Cause I hate to do repair. So it's actually really angry music. I listen to when I'm repairing things. <laughs> Cause I'm like, oh, I can't stand doing this. <laughs> and I get it done when I have that playlist on, right? Right. So right. what you do is when you build these playlists, if you know where you are and where you're trying to go, you mold your playlist like that. So you start mm. out with something peaceful and then you warm up. Right. And just like we warm up the body and exercise musically, that it works really well. And we have like fancy terms for that in our clinical world, but we always want to meet the person, which is us when it's self-care, where we are. Right. Knowledge what we're feeling. And only once we get that resonance, then we can really move. Yeah. I love that because first of all, that helps you be in control and you may not be in control of the trauma that's going around, around you, right? right? There might, might be circumstances that are out of your control. There might be friends, family members, there might be, you know, whatever it is, whether it's in the past or in the current, you're not in control of that, but you are in control of your playlist. That's just, that's genius. It's super important for the brain to know that it's in control of something. 
mm-hmm. because when it's experiencing a perception of no control, that's stressful on the brain. The brain does not like to be in situations where there's a enforced right. loss of power. So yeah. that's going to trigger the stress response. Then we're going to start triggering cravings. We're going to reach for the wrong things and we're going to kind of, you know, vicious circle. Yeah. So then when you prescribe music, do you prescribe it at certain times of the day, once a day, six times a day, or whenever you feel like the need you need? Yeah. It's really, it's about, it's so goal oriented that it's not uh, standardized. Ah, okay. So it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So mm-hmm. let's, uh, I'll walk you through a day for me. Like in the morning, I'll start out the meditation music. First thing we do is really peaceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the exercise music I move to after I've walked the dog is really up tempo. Right? right. And then if I need to do charting or like computer work where I have to really focus and get on and off that fo- that computer fast, mm-hmm. then I need to put on some like mid tempo, like not super dance music, but not relaxation music, something that's like awake alert at that. And that, right. and what that does is it really turbocharges my brain and it really activates my brain and it actually activates my focus. That's ah. why so many kids study to music. Mm-hmm. What's happening to your brain when you're listening to it is it's lighting up your whole brain and it's activating every sub region. So you're kind of turbocharging your brain. Oh, um, I love that. Yeah. So for people with ADD, ADHD, using music to study or to do math or to do some sort of like cognitive load is really a good idea. As long as it, as long as it doesn't have lyrics, because then you start to listen to the lyrics instead of focus on the task. So, okay. Well, that's something my daughter has ADHD and she's like self-discovered opera. Brilliant. And so she's like, I'm hear her listening to opera. Well, first she discovered the eighties. I'm like, Oh, I'm singing along (laughs) to that. (laughs) Then she discovered, you know, other things and and musicals and and now she's discovered opera. So she studies to that, but she wouldn't, doesn't understand the words. So does that, is that, that's okay because she's not focusing on the words. She's focusing on the music. That's right. And for some of us, and this is what's so fascinating. Like once you peel away the top level about music, you find that it really isn't the ocean of what it can do, what it does do. So for example, listening to music, you already know. Mm-hmm. Your brain doesn't process the lyrics in the prefrontal cortex at that point because it's automatized it, right? So now we're right. in a different part of the brain. And so we're not actually focusing on the lyrics. They're just another instrument in the background. Right. Oh, yeah. New music, if we don't know the lyrics, one of two things usually happens. We don't focus on the lyrics and we just listen to the sound of the voice. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, a lyric will capture our attention or Mm-hmm. you know, our focus. And oh, what was that? That was really cool. And then we, we kind of get sidetracked. So sidetracked. even within listening, there's layers of how we can listen to the music and have it support us. And one of the things is to listen to the voice just as an instrument and to really let lyrics fall back. Right. But, you know, when you're, when you're doing cognitive tasks, if you can go for instrumental first, that's great. If you're going to do relaxation music with like a script with someone talking, definitely mm-hmm. want instrumental music. Cause if someone's singing or chanting, then you're going to have two voices. Oh yeah. When you're yeah, reading, like if you're reading a book or a textbook, really hard to read a textbook with lyrical music in the background, because then your brain's trying to figure out which words to focus on. 
the words right. that you're thinking in your head as you're reading or the words that are coming in from the music. So again, instrumental music or, you know, is, is easier on the brain. Wow. This is just fascinating. So tell me a little bit about what music has done with some of your patients. Like how do you use music in your therapy? Yeah. So there's, um, there's five outcomes that we really focus on for music and music helps you stay present, helps you open up, mm. helps you be creative, helps you escape stress, and it helps you reconnect. And all of those are good tools for anybody uh, in their wellness and their self-care. I spend a lot of time mm -hmm. working uh, I, on grief retreats and in treatment centers for people with depression, anxiety, self-harm, and substance abuse. Mm. So those categories are where symptoms are higher, right? Symptoms are higher in grief. Symptoms are higher right. in mental illness, addiction. So we're, we really want to empower them to lean on music and reach for music, right? But right. any of us on a daily basis, as part of our self-care and our own wellness, we want to be staying present. We want to being able to open up, be creative, yeah. escape stress when it comes, and then stay connected to the people that are important to us. And music can accomplish all of those in different yeah. ways. So uh, one day we might make, and there's four ways we actually make, we will make it, we'll listen to it, we'll write it, or we'll relax to it. And mm -hmm. so any different way that we engage with music might check off any one of those five outcomes or two, three, four, or all five of them at the same time. Right. The clients don't know that that's what we're up to. Right. <laughs> that's the best part about using music. So let's yeah. just take staying present, for example. If, if I play a beat, right? If I'm like, check this out. I want you to just try to tap along with, okay? okay? So just tap where, well, on whatever you got. I got this little cool little drum here, right? It's called a sound. Okay. I'm going to play a beat and your job is to just match the beat. Ready? Okay. Got it? Uh-huh. Okay. Were you thinking about the future while you were trying to figure out the beat? No. No. <laughs> were you were were you pissed off or ruminating over what happened yesterday in a meeting? No. No. Right? <laughs> Your brain is like right here in the present. Right. Moment. I was like, okay, I gotta figure figure this out. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that is present. Yeah, you are. Oh present. yeah. And being present is a byproduct of just trying to engage physically with music. Right. And being present is what so many of us are missing a lot of times. Uh -huh. We just kind of go through life with blinders on or just like automatons right. a lot of time. Being present opens up whole new doors for you. Absolutely. It's wow. and, and you're not thinking about staying present. That's my beef with mindfulness is like, it's mm. a think about thinking about thinking. And I'm like, <laughs> that's too much for me. Right. <laughs> but if you put on some music you like, and then you try to tap out the bass or you try to tap out the drum line, or you try to hum the melody line, if you engage your body, tap, snap, clap, hum, rap, sing in some way, cognitively, that's heavy lifting for your brain. And so it mm -hmm. just pulls you right into the present moment and you're present and you're having fun, but you're not thinking about being present. You're just making music. Right. Now, let me ask you this. It's a, it's, this is a hard question. So you're, you're present for that period of time for that song or for that playlist, mm -hmm. but your problems are still there. Yep. 
does being present, like focusing at one point in time, then help you beyond that? Yeah. So here's what the beauty of what happens when you make music, particularly when you engage with the music, a couple of things are Mm -hmm. happening. A, your focus is in the present. You have any control over the past or the future? Mm-mm. No. Nope. Where is the only place in time that you've got a shot at having any control? Right here and now. The present moment. So first yeah. of all, it's very empowering for the brain to be present, right? Yeah. Second, when you make music or you listen to music you enjoy, your brain releases dopamine, oxytocin, prolactin, all ah, pleasure chemicals that allow us great. to feel motivation, connection, mm-hmm. relaxation. So it's bathing the brain in all of the best you know, of our own biochemistry. Right. Third, it resets the nervous system when we make music from the stress response to the relaxation yeah. response. This is really important because when our brain is in a stress response, the part of the brain that's making decisions is not the part of the brain we want behind the wheel. It's the reptilian part, right? We make the worst (laughs) decisions. That's when we fire off that email or we yell at someone (laughs) in traffic who turns out to be the parent of one of your classmates. You walk up to the school five minutes later and you're like, (laughs) oh man, that was embarrassing. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we're not at our best when we're stressed. Right. So what we want is tools that can reset that stress response because once Mm. we're in a relaxation response... Then our prefrontal cortex comes back online. We can remember Mm. what's worked in the past. We can consider the future and we can make our best decisions and kind of have the best shot at the best outcome in the moment. So music effortlessly and quite enjoyably kind Mm. of puts us in that position. Man, we could, I could talk about this all day. I really have one question yeah. that I want to ask. You've been mentioning, not necessarily just listening, but making music. Yeah. We just had a little session with tapping. Yeah. Tell me about when you like play an instrument, does that help as well? Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So as far as your brain is concerned, your body is an instrument. So you don't have to grab a physical instrument like a ukulele mm-hmm. or a drum or a flute. Your body's fine because in order to just make the beat on your body or sing, all the same things are happening up here. So one of the myths we have about music is that it's hard, it's expensive, it's time consuming, right? Not true, not true, not true. We can just engage with our body Mm -hmm. quite easily. Now, Mm -hmm. if we want to master or even learn how to play an instrument, there are tons of low-cost, easy-to-play instruments that exist that we don't see in orchestras and we don't see in the band that's marching, right? They're very simple. And the the uke is a great example because for 50 bucks, I put one finger on one string. One finger, one (laughs) note, I'm strumming a C chord and I'm playing this thing the day I buy it. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, and what happens is when you learn an instrument, the part of your brain that's responsible for frustration tolerance goes up, strengthens. Ah. They gave kids who had music lessons and kids who didn't have music lessons the same unsolvable math problem. And they said, hit this timer when you either give up or solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Kids who took music lessons would stick with a problem 11 times longer than the kids who had no music training because that part of the brain is what's being built 
every time they're practicing and playing their instrument. So playing a musical instrument or playing music has tremendous non-music advantages to any of us in our day-to-day life. So it helps us solve problems faster, helps us deal with people because people are problems. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. And so (laughs) when when you're playing instruments and you're playing music and making music, it's like being in the creativity gym. And creativity Mm. is the muscle we use to solve problems. This is just fascinating. Okay, tell me a story from the front lines of treatment. Yeah, I mean, so many, but I'll just tell you this drum I just showed you a few seconds ago. I remember I had one teenage boy in my group and his arms were littered with scars from cutting. Uh, And you mm -hmm. know, in our culture today, cutting is a huge problem. Yeah, like I didn't know anybody who cut when I was a kid. This is a common issue now, right? It's a different world. Mm-hmm. And in one, one session, uh, we were drumming and he had a drum just like this. And at the end of the session, the clients have to fill out like a feedback form. Like what was your biggest takeaway? What did you learn? Right. And um, he was really quiet during the whole session, but he was drumming, drumming away. But mm-hmm. He didn't really talk mm-hmm. and he didn't really engage verbally. And then I got his form. And on the form, it said, I finally found a tool to get the violence out of me. Oh my gosh. Whoa, that's powerful. Now, I don't, e- I don't even know what that means. And here's the sad part, because no one's ever put violence into me. Mm. Got that? Yeah. Someone put that violence into him. Yeah. And he's been dealing with that violence, that trauma, it's been in his body and he's been trying to mm. cut it out mm-hmm. and he hasn't found a tool to be able to get the violence out of his body until he discovered the drum. This is so powerful. This is amazing. We've got to get this message out <laughs> into the world. And I know you are doing that. Absolutely. Tell us, tell us where we can find out more about this and more about you. Sure. So the easiest place to find me online is just go to sonicrecovery.com. And for dropping by, I will give you some of my best relaxation exercises. You can just download them and listen to me relax you. Absolutely. That's my gift. Yeah. So there's a couple of different relaxations you can walk through. And I have one mom who's written me three years in a row just to let me know that at first it was her six-year-old. Now, then it was her seven-year-old. Now, now he's eight and he's listening to that same relaxation music every night when he goes to bed. Oh, that's three years running. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. um, it's a really great tool. So just go to sonicrecovery.com, download that. And then I'm also going to send every month, I send a video demonstration of different relaxation apps and virtual music apps because phones and tablets are phenomenal for using, Mm -hmm. for making music and relaxation. You don't even need to buy real instruments. There are amazing virtual instruments that with the swipe of a finger, you sound like a Juilliard trained harpist. (laughs) So so every month I turn people onto these new tools that they can use that are fun. You listen to them in your earbuds and no one else has to listen. It's great. This has been an amazing, amazing interview, Tim. Thanks. Thank you so much for for digging into your own grief, for creating something out of it, and for sharing this with the world. I mean, this is truly groundbreaking. Thank you so much for what you're doing to help. Thank you very much for that acknowledgement. I really appreciate it. All right. So you can go to sonicrecovery.com. 
All right. Fabulous. Thank you, Tim. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. Welcome to Stacey's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. I was so inspired about how Tim applies music therapy not only to his professional life, but personal as well. He's an excellent example of how one finds resilience from traumatic events and experiences. I can't begin to imagine the pain of losing his daughter, his friends, and suffering from addiction. Tim's recovery and healing came from the beauty of using music to stay present in the here and now. His mindfulness in the present helped him to focus on moving forward rather than being stuck in the pain. Music has such a profound influence on the very depths of our soul. The right music will keep you grounded in the present, which, as Tim mentioned, is where we have control. I remember I had a particular playlist several times in my life to help me through some really tough times. And I'd like to know, how has music impacted your life? Has it helped ease any emotional, physical, or spiritual pain you've gone through? I'd love to hear about it. Share your comments below this episode. That's all we have for today. Last episode, Stephanie McPhail talked about having a history of bad relationships and how she finally picked the right guy. So if you need to pick your relationships better, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, Kristen Gerard will share insights into how she came back from suicidal thoughts and how she now shares her artistic talents to help people see themselves in a new light. Before you go, don't forget to sign up for the webinar. Head over to stacybrookman.com webinar for that. It's called Real Life Resilience, Using Your Tough Stories to Build Strength. You know, writing about my life helped me use my past tough experiences to make my future self wiser and more resilient. And it can help you too. This webinar is designed to give you a shortcut I'm going to give you the four simple steps to help you take advantage of what I've learned and to help you become a stronger, more resilient person too. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. Today, we're taking a look at Darkness Visible, published by William Styron in 1990, a work of great personal courage and a literary tour de force. This bestseller is Styron's true account of his descent into a crippling and almost suicidal depression. That he survived his descent into madness is something of a miracle. Styron is perhaps the first writer to convey the full terror of depression's psychic landscape, as well as the illuminating path to recovery, which may arouse a shock of recognition. Check out Darkness Visible and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com slash 100 memoirs. And always remember that life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.